Hey everybody, welcome to That Will Never Work. You know, in March 2020, when pubs and bars across the world shut down due to the pandemic, it was a heart-stopping moment for this week's guest, Mark Walsh, because British pub quizzes were his business. But he pivoted. He's created an online app called Quizbit. And recently, it's been so successful, he's had to scale the business to handle up to 100,000 concurrent users. But now he faces an even more important scaling challenge. How does one scale oneself? Well, let's dig in and find out. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Hey, Mark, welcome to That Will Never Work. The more I do this, the more I realize how little I know about the world. Uh, and I heard a brief bit about what you're working on. Uh, and I know it has something to do with pub quizzes. And yes. I said to myself, I haven't the slightest idea what a pub quiz is. Uh, but I imagine you'll <laughs> fill me in. So why don't we kick this off? And why don't you give me a brief intro as to what a pub quiz is? What are you working on? And then maybe what do you want to talk about? Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I think I should do, I think I shall buy you a drink and we'll take you to a pub quiz, but we'll, <laughs> we'll maybe sort that one out afterwards. Um, my name is Mark. I'm the founder and CEO of Quizbit, which is an interactive trivia game. Uh, Quizbit is actually spelled K-W-I-Z-Z-B-I-T. Um, we've actually created a powerful solution that allows you to quiz on anyone, on anything from anywhere, basically. Um, we started life to stop people cheating in pub quizzes, um, but we've been on quite a journey since then. Um, we set out to create a cloud-based interactive quiz so hosts could use their devices or laptops, whatever, uh, to run regular quiz events. Um, so hosts um, can choose from over 5,000 quizzes on demand and players use their devices to answer questions. The faster they answer, the more points they get uh, and the, the scores are updated as the game rolls on. Um, we've created lots of content, which is updated daily with different themes. We have national leaderboards, uh, all of which helps people run their own trivia nights, as you mentioned, uh, in pubs. Um, we actually tested and launched this within the hospitality sector, which, again, as you mentioned, is pubs. And that was really a sector that we knew. Um, I've got a successful background in creating products for that industry. Um, so in order to validate it and grow the business through that sector, um, that's what we did at the first. So we created thousands of quizzes. We grew to hundreds of venues. Uh, we built a small team. Uh, and then, like many others, the world was sort of turned on its head in uh, March 2020. And we lost 95% of our recurring revenue overnight, um, which was you know rather tricky to navigate. But... Um, Rather than waiting for it to blow over, what we did is we pivoted to virtual events. Uh, we did some really cool stuff with some cool brands such as uh, Nintendo, Vodafone and Amazon. And we ran some large virtual events. We raised over £100,000 for charity. Uh, we worked with some celebrity hosts and organizations. Um, and we had a lot of fun. But we, we, we realized that the power of trivia is universal. So we're now operating in several new markets from fundraising to 
corporate team building, brand activations, fan engagement. Um, and we were also getting results or getting requests for much bigger games. So we... Okay, yeah. so hold on a second, Mark. I got to... Before we get too far afield and build some more things in this, I got to understand the fundamentals. So let's take it yeah. way back for a second. So okay. if I understand what this is, the roots are basically playing trivia, trivia, trivia night uh, mm -hmm. at the local pub. That's where this started. And right. I guess the cheating you're alluding to is someone says, who was the youngest daughter on the Brady Bunch? And everyone rushes to their phone and Googles it, and that takes all the fun out of it. Is that that's yeah. the kind of cheating you uh, you you mean? Correct. Yes. And so we introduced this speed-based element. So okay. And so basically, then you go, "Wow, we've built this trivia game." And mm -hmm. so now, when a pub wants to host a trivia night, they don't need to go through the work of figuring out. Oh my God, what are the questions going to be? What are the right answers? all done for them they can be heroes and run this thing and off it goes yeah uh, got it uh now this product that you have or had or have i'm not sure how it's morphed or not um is preloaded with these questions these are questions that are centrally delivered a big uh, a library of five thousand or so questions is that Right. Correct. Well, we, we actually 5,000 quizzes in the system over just short of 50,000 questions in total, which we've got, which we've built up. So it's not meant for someone to run their own quiz with their own questions or. or... Uh, that's where that's what it's become. So that's kind of ah. where we that's where we've ended up. Um, I see. But but almost by chance, um, but also through serendipity and I mean, being able to create what we know um, people are starting to use. So we have built into that the ability now to create your own content. And we've actually got a unique piece of, uh, of kit, which is called a quiz builder, which, which, which helps you do that. Okay. So I just needed to get that, that basic understanding of what this product is or, or was or is becoming. So now I get it. Okay. So now all of a sudden COVID comes, pubs close down, yeah. Uh, people are now doing these quiz pub, these quiz nights virtually. Yeah. Uh, you have celebrity guests who are hosting them. Um, and now take me into where it's gone to. So from that point, what we did was we realized that we needed to scale the solution. Um, building a pub quiz or building a, a piece of quiz software for a, a certain amount of people is one thing, but making that scale um, so you can play these things in real time from a technical perspective is very difficult. Um, we built a proof of concept which proved that we could scale to beyond 100,000, which was where we were aiming for. And then during the pandemic, we decided that we would actually build this. Um, but in order to do it, Mark, what we had to do is we had to build the whole thing again from the ground upwards. Um, so we went out, we raised £300,000 from investors, and we took everything basically that we learned from the real and virtual world, and we created this new system, uh, which allows users to build, host, and play quizzes with actually over 100,000 people in a single game. Um, so again, alluding back to what you were talking about, being able to create your own content, because we were working in new markets, rather than create all the content for that market of which there is content in there you can now build your own quiz in under a minute 
what we've also put in there is live streaming as well. So you can live stream yourself to your entire audience so you become the star of your own virtual game show, if you will. Okay, so Mark, there's like a clear distinction, it seems here, that this is not you as a company running quizzes for end users and trying to build a quizzing business. It's really much more like a quizzing as a service business where you're enabling someone else who has some interest in running a quiz to do so themselves. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So we created the software as a service more from uh, what, we, what, what we know works. Um, and that allows us, obviously, to service new markets. And uh, and who are the customers who choose to do this sort of thing? I assume you're aiming way beyond the local pub. Yes. So we work with uh, a number of organizations, so team building, um, corporate organizations. Um, we have people that play simply with friends and family. Um, we also have the ability to work with brands uh, and people that want to interact with larger audiences. So fan engagement is something else that we've been working on. Um, but the ability to be able to work this and live stream yourself to an audience, but create your own quiz opens us up to, to many markets. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're kind of growing through these markets. One, one of the things that we do with the quiz is that uh, everybody that plays Quizbit can go on to become the host of their own quiz. So we have a freemium model, which allows people to play for free with up to four people. Ah. But that also acts as an acquisition tool, which right. is then leading to more opportunities, but also leading as leverage to, to larger opportunities. So we, we're working through this, um, but what we're doing is getting, as juvenile as it may sound, as many people onto the system as possible and playing with as many people as possible, looking at all of these opportunities which in turn is creating a product-led growth model, which really is seeing things you know, move quite quickly. So this is great. So how long, you, you, you raised money, you rebuilt, re-engineered the entire mm -hmm. system so it would be scalable. Yep. Um, and how long have you now been running this new version? Uh, four weeks. <laughs> so, um, so a little early for me to quiz you on uh, who's using it, who's reusing it, what their frequency is, or any of those kind of metrics, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a good monthly recurring revenue. Um, we had that, you know, we've built that back up from, from where we were before. Um, we've built a strong team. We've still got a long way to go, but everything is pointing in the right direction. Um, you know what we do is we're we're building on those those users and and leveraging those opportunities that we've got. I mean, Quizbit's actually been played in thirty seven countries and by over half a million people to date, um, since its inception. Um, in this new inception, that's not in the last four weeks, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, with the new inception, it's allowing us to grow a lot more. Yeah, I know this isn't necessarily the area you wanted to talk about, but it concerns me that it would require a certain type of customer who would do this with any kind of frequency. Mm. In other words, I can see a corporate cut saying, I, I have an event coming up and I'd like to run a quiz. Yeah, That's a one-off. But obviously the ideal customer is someone who, as you said, begins doing it every week and begins investing in building their brand or ties it onto an existing um, yeah. personal brand if you're an influencer or something like that. Is, is that that's the idea too? Uh, yeah, so there's two the two revenue models. So we've got a, a subscription model, uh, and they are what we call subscriptions, basically where people can run as many quizzes as they want uh, on a monthly basis. 
the people that are using those are people that run regular quiz events, regular quiz nights, and they can be anything from a, a person that's running this virtually um, to brands to uh, team meetings as well seems to be rather popular. So corporate teams that want to run weekly leagues and certain other things with their with their teams. So they're, 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 they're purchasing subscriptions. But then we also have the one-off events. And because we can now scale this to over 100,000 people in a single game, there's much more opportunities to do much larger scale events. But again, as you say, they are more one-off. So we've got the two revenue models which feed into the, into the SaaS subscription model. So I certainly have a ton of things I could weigh in about, but I'm gathering you had something specific you wanted to uh, talk about. Yeah, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I mean, we've put a lot of work into creating a, a good culture and to allow people to grow. Um, as I say, we've built a small team. We're very confident in what we're doing. Um, but as we get more opportunities and more users, um, the need to grow myself is becoming ever more apparent. Um, I do like to embrace the infinite learning mindset and I do my best to get the balance right. Um, and again, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, things are growing rather quickly. Um, I am blessed to have a wonderful family, um, but I have children who also need me as well. <laughs> Um, and my question really would be, you know, sort of how, as this grows, how do I scale myself as such to be part of, of what we're doing? Well, I guess the first question is whether you want to scale yourself. I mean, yeah. it certainly is totally acceptable to say that I'm great at starting things and I really have no interest in running them. And so I get them going and then I'm off to the next one. Um, but... In the event you're saying, no, I really think this could be a pretty compelling, I think you're thinking exactly correctly that how to scale yourself is a big one, especially like you said, if you've got a family and you've got kids who would like to see their, uh, see their dad um, every once in a while. So just to give me a sense of scale, how many employees are there now? There's seven of us now. Okay. Seven of us in the business. So there's not, not a huge amount, but it's, it's, it's good for us now. Yeah, so the, 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 there's a couple of things. One is you're absolutely right to be thinking about this now because the culture you put in place when there's seven people um, is going to be the culture that's in place when there's 70. So you can't have one culture now and then decide once it's a little bit bigger, I want to change direction and do something totally different. Or maybe you can, but it's much, much, much easier to be thinking about that from... Um, from now um i would if well if i was you i would really be looking at who the other people are and saying it's not just you it's the people around you who have to scale at the same time and i know that your team listens to this but um are you already thinking that do you have other people who have um the ability to scale or, or have you basically said I understand that I'm, as I get larger, we're going to need to really add to our ranks uh, at the management level. Um, so we, so we have a core set of values as a team. Um, uh, there's a number of those, but one of those is we innovate as a team and we grow as a team. Um, what we, or what I've done is with uh, the people that have helped us to this stage and, and what I call the core founding team, if you will, um, we have set them up as senior, what we call our leadership team. So our leadership team are in place. What we have presented to the leadership team is what, where we can go. 
And where we can go is for those senior leaders and those people that know the product inside out, those people that know how to do what we do, those people that are learning certain parts of their trade are still leaders uh, in my eyes and leaders in the company's eyes that can then drive us forward. So they're seen as senior leaders. So it's getting us all involved as part of that innovation process. But the innovation is not just the tech. The innovation is how we grow that as a team and having those senior leaders and asking those senior leaders themselves to become infinite learners. So our sales director to learn infinite learning about the, the sales process and marketing and, and, and the positions that we've got to then have those as almost cornerstones, if you will, to have uh, to build a team underneath those. So they're, 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 they're bought into that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think about how to, how to say this uh, gently, I suppose. But what you're trying to do is really hard, uh, which is um, have this group of people who are your, all your co-founders who are all working incredibly hard, you're all deeply aligned, um, and have that be the group which leads, continues to lead this company into the future. Uh, it's really unusual, uh, and it's really rare, and it's certainly possible uh, but it's rare, not necessarily because these are bad people or that you're not a great CEO. It's the very nature of a startup that they outgrow their own teams. I mean, it really is like, you know, a snake outgrowing its skin or a, a crab outgrowing its, a hermit crab outgrowing its shell, that you have these people who have a very, very specific expertise and the reason that you're successful is because you have this great set of people who can wear many many hats who are jacks of all trades not they're not the best in the world at any one thing but that's fine that's not what you need right now right now you need someone who can do six things well and that's great and the same thing goes for you you have this ability to see all the different parts you know enough about all the different parts of the company that you can kind of be managing and coordinating and all this. It's exactly what an early stage company needs. It needs the kind of people who are totally comfortable having worked for three or four weeks in a project and all of a sudden go, wait a minute, this isn't working. Okay, abandon that. Let's do something different and do that with excitement and, uh, and good humor rather than disappointment. If you're lucky, uh, it may have happened already, but if you're lucky, you're going to get to that mythical product market fit piece where you go, wow, we really have discovered what our right product is and we've matched it up with exactly the right set of customers and now we know what the business model is and oh my gosh, this thing is going crazy. Um, and I sense that's a little bit what you're trying to anticipate is what happens if this thing is hugely successful and all of a sudden in 18 months, I have 70 people. Uh, and then 18 months later, I have 700 people. Well, the reality is that you then have a very, very difficult decision to make because that person who is part of your senior team, as you describe them, who has worked tirelessly with you, you know, spent nights and weekends and did whatever he, had, he or she had to do to help make the company successful, and was willing to do anything, all of a sudden you're realizing, wow, I need a different level of person. I need a person not for whom 
a 700-person company is a stretch. I need a person for whom a 700-person company is easy because they're used to doing what they do for a 7,000-person company. Then you've got a very, very hard decision, which is, is my loyalty to this person? As, as you pointed out, we all grow and we grow together. Or is your loyalty to someone different, which is to your investors, to, to your customers, to the other team members who, let's say, half of them have managed to scale and have managed to take on the responsibilities of a much, much larger company and are doing great at it, but now do they have to carry the people who are maybe not as good at it? Not because they're not good people, but again, they're they're in very much different um, skill sets. And I am warning you that as you are thinking through, do I have what it takes to manage this? That that is, in my experience, the hardest thing of being successful. Because believe me, you bring that person in and you sit them in the chair next to your desk and telling them, you've done an amazing job making us successful but you're not the right person for the next um, stage of our business. Uh, and now here's the real message for you, Mark. You also have to be saying that about yourself um, as you scale. And it is by no means a failure or shameful if you decide you're not. Um, yeah. It is not that you have to be... A, Mark Zuckerberg or an Elon Musk we have the ability to run a company when it's three people amazingly well and also do it when it's 300,000 people amazingly well. That's, it's freakishly talented and almost nobody can do that. And you take pride in the fact I'm really good at an early stage person. But I recognize that at this level, the types of things I have to be able to do not only am I uh, not very good at, but I don't really like it that much. Uh, and then you have to then wrestle with your ego about um, what do I do now? Uh, and I feel, Mark, uniquely qualified to uh, lecture you on this, having yes. been someone who faced that uh, dragon um, and yes. came to the conclusion that it was more important to me that Netflix be successful and that that I owed that to my investors, and I owed that to the rest of the team to recognize that I didn't have the chops, or put, put it more specifically, that if I was doing this together with my partner, you know, Reed Hastings, that was undoubtedly going to be a more successful outcome than me continuing to learn on the job um, by myself. Yeah. So, in other words, um, I'm partly saying... Don't worry about it mm -hmm. because your big responsibility is getting the company to the point you have to worry about it. Yes. And once you have, yes, there's going to be some long conversations with your wife. There's going to be yeah. some long conversations with your team. There's going to be some long yeah. conversations with yourself. Yeah. But if you think of the fact that you've built it successfully to the point that you're ready to begin thinking about, am I the right person? You've done an amazing, amazing job. And there is ways to think in advance of what's going to happen before you get there. Um, 
for example, if you begin to recognize places that you may not be good, it's the time to begin identifying an external mentor, which is someone to be a coach for you who does have much larger company background, who, who can, you can begin establishing that trust, that rapport, that level of communication with, who can help coach you through what it takes to begin developing that different um, skill set. This sounds great, Mark. I mean, when would you like to start? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Um, it, it's, you know, years, when I, when I left Netflix, which got us like 15 yeah. plus years ago, uh, I thought that would be a really interesting next stage for me is to do, help other entrepreneurs do what they do. Yeah. And, and, but what surprised me is how much of an appetite there is for that. How many mm. people there are who are looking for that level of coaching. But this, this level of coaching is a different one, which is that how do you, and I'm not the person to prepare someone to be a big company CEO since I'm a terrible at it. But that's one thing. And there's one other piece that y you think about in advance, which is you go, I want to be involved long term. I need to begin recognizing, is there a way to split the job? Yeah. Um, and what people do there is they begin to groom a COO. They mm. begin to groom a president for, to their CEO. They begin mm. to groom a CEO to their chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you know, another weird story, God, I, I, I can go all day about these, <laughs> is uh, uh, the company we did after Netflix, which was Looker, you know, they're the, the founder, the, uh, who was the, the um, technical wizard behind the product, who had okay. said, I want to be the CEO. Um, and despite me trying to coach him, you do not want to be the CEO. He goes, no, I really want to try being the CEO. And then quickly realized, no, I don't want to be the CEO. And then began to realize that the lucky person was he, him getting to do the thing that he loved doing, which was the technical side of it. And we began structuring the company in a way that he didn't need to get tied down in being an engineering manager. He didn't need to worry about the marketing and the sales. And he could just be, think about product architecture and product vision, which he was the best in the world at. And the same goes for, that's another path. And maybe, and you know, maybe you are Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Elon Musk and... Uh, you will be the well, guy who who does it. I, I, but I, I guess I'll, the quick yeah. answer to your question is don't stress about it. No. Nah. Or let's hope you get to worry about this. Yeah. I, honestly, just listening to that and looking at it from, it, it's almost like taking myself out of, out of the situation and looking at it from the outside in, which is something that I don't do a lot. So to hear that, and to look at the way that we're doing things, but also to look at the options that are open to, open to us as a company and not be all about, you know, what we're trying to do is, is um, yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it. Um, and it gives me a lot of food for thought. The, um, the other yeah. thing is, is things you can do now when you have less than 10 employees hmm. is begin looking at your culture and saying, what is, am I setting myself up for in the future? And one is, and there's no value judgment here, so I'm, I'm not picking the right words, but there is this continuum between what I would call a micromanaging culture, 
yeah. to a very, very hands-off, you know, freedom and responsibility culture. And those have to fit the founder and the CEO as to how they want to do it. And I've seen both of them work exceptionally well, where in the, in the micromanager one, you really, the reason the company's successful is because there's no room for errors and every decision gets made phenomenally well because the CEO who has a certain vision and a passion and commitment is deeply involved in even the most mundane details. That yeah. is a formula for success. You can make that work. It does raise the standard of the company. Um, and in fact, one of the things that makes a small company be able to live, to compete, is the fact that you have seven people who, when you look at it, way above average for what the average quality of a 700-person company you're competing with. Because you've handpicked these seven people. Like you said, this is your team. They're all way overcompetent for what you have them doing. And that's a great culture. Is the, and then they, when they hire people, they're still in their, in their business, yeah. making sure everything goes really smoothly for the next couple of years. Okay. Yeah. The problem is for you, that doesn't scale as well. Okay. Because it's yeah. really hard then to extract yourself from this level of I'm so involved in the detail, I become this focal point, the decisions need to run through me, and which I can do now. Gets much harder when there's 70, gets almost impossible when there's 700. In which case, you begin to think that maybe I don't have the chops to do that later on. You begin consciously saying, I need to set this up now that I empower people to a very, very high degree. In fact, a higher degree than I might be comfortable with, that I'm willing to tolerate making, having decisions be suboptimal, but I did not have to weigh in to make them. That I'm saying the company culture is, I'm going to get the right people in the right seats, as I've often said about Netflix, and I'm going to give them all the knowledge and context they need, and then I'm going to back off and let them run the show. I'm going to set the direction. I'm going to make sure I have the right people. I'm giving them the context, but that's it. And that does scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we do work towards uh, you know getting autonomy into what we do. Um, one of the things that I do uh, is uh, and which certainly doesn't scale, but every single member of the team, I send them their payroll check, if you will, and I write a personalised email to every single one of them to talk out what went well, what didn't go well, what we're looking forward to, what we're excited about, and where we're going to go. We've got one clear mission, which is we want to get to 100,000 hosts and 5 million players, which is effectively correct connecting these people. So we know where we want to get to. I think the question that I've got to look at now, and especially when we look at what, you know, as you've made me look at this from the outside in, is, you know, getting to that point is one thing, but then obviously then you've got a business of a certain size. And at what point do you then turn around and decide that every seat is up for grabs, if you will? Um, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, and the culture is individual. So uh, you certainly can build a culture that says no seats are up for grabs. Yeah. We're in this together. We're a family and mean yeah. it and mean yeah. it. Um, yeah. Or you can be, I mean, I'm, I'm the, I'm much more dispassionate, which is how I graciously say I can be a dick about it, which is that <laughs> all seats are up for grab, that my obligation yeah. is to have the very, very best person at every position. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying I'm not really supportive and really nice and fun to work for and all those things. Yeah. But 
if someone's not cutting it, someone's got to do something about that, and that's yeah. my job. Um, yeah, no, but I'm not saying you have to do it that way, because it has to no. fit who you are. But yeah. <laughs> see, now you got me on a roll, Mark. This is good. Um, <laughs> the uh, the scalable thing, but the handwritten notes, I love that. It's that's mm. fantastic because it shows you really are in touch. And but be careful because, as you said, it doesn't scale, mm. and it might not scale unless you are Superman. Mm -hmm. um, I remember again more in Netflix stupid stories when we started early on. We would have whenever a new employees joined at the company meeting after they joined, they would all have to you know dress dress up as their favorite character from a movie, and we'd kind of do this whole individualized thing. At Patty McCord, who was our human resources person, the head of our, head of the people, whatever you want to call it, and you know she'd go, Mark doesn't scale. Be careful, doesn't scale. And I go, oh, it does, you know, I didn't even listen didn't even hear um and then she was right because she was pretty soon we weren't bringing on two people a month then it was 20 people a month and then eventually it was 200 people a month and it doesn't scale and then it breaks something in that company yeah that's like very consciously having to say not in words but in action that we don't like you as much anymore. I mean, it's this weird dynamic, or even worse, you have the people who are, let's say, on you know J January twentieth of this year. This changed. We can't do it anymore. Then everyone beforehand goes, "Oh, we're part of the old club," and everyone the new is part of the anonymous, faceless. It's just a weird dynamic. If you want this culture and tradition. You do need to think when you have seven people, what am I setting up in a way yeah. that it will still be uh, working? So I'm at each point, of, each point of scale, it changed. did the culture change or did, did you manage to drive it through? No. I mean, the rituals did have to change slightly, but yeah. the concept behind it didn't. Okay. It changed. Now, this is really dorky. But it changed into, well, you had 200 people all dressed up from the same movie. You didn't get to pick mm. your own movie. Okay. <laughs> but it would bond you. That bonding principle of tying us to we're really in the movie business, um, that we really have this goofy, part of our culture is we goof on each other, that we tease each other. And this sets the tone right away that you're going to do something embarrassing that people are going to laugh but you're doing it with a group of people. It's a, a forced yeah. bonding. And I, they may not still do it because I haven't, again, I haven't been involved in the company for quite a while now, but it lasted a long time because we did yeah. think after Patty, you know, hit me um, fiercely about the head and shoulders with a stick <laughs> that we had to begin changing our uh, traditions right. into ones that would scale so that we didn't need to change them oh remember how i used to do this a lot of time i i can't do it anymore yeah 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 we, one of our values is we have fun we do lots of fun things we're a quiz company so you know we like to do interactive trivia and interactive games so we play the games and the, the that we sell um we create the you know we, we 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 test the content that we create um but again all done with us and uh yeah as we scale it's it's important to be able to scale that culture
It's um, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's it's people don't. I mean, there's two levels of screw up, and the first level is thinking all I have to do is say it, and it will be so. In mm. other words, this aspirate. I'll just write down what I want my culture to be, and I'll put a poster yeah. up in the break room, and they're done. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is they just think, well, we just need to um, go through the motions. We have yeah. a no asshole policy uh, until we have a super high performing asshole, and then, well, maybe we'll work around it. But the recognizing what is important and holding yourself accountable to truly walk the walk and talk the talk, that's hard. And culture is so important that you almost can't spend too much time on getting that right. Not, get, not designing it right, but recognizing what do we really stand for and are we being true to those things? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it really helps. I mean, we, we work very hard on um, making sure that, you know, we, we've got, you know, on our values and making sure that we get to where we need to be. But, you know, as you quite rightly say, you know, once you come to scale that, that's when I suppose the real work starts. So I know, gosh, that you've tipped off the fact that other people on the team actually might listen to the podcast. I yes, have to be careful, 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 careful what I say. Because um, I, I won't tell them that you promised all of them a big raise next month. That was between the two. <laughs> That's just between you and me. Okay, we'll, cut, we'll, edit, this that, we'll yeah, edit this out, that, I promise. Yes. <laughs> no, I will say it's a mistake to represent to them that we're all in this together forever. Um, okay. If it's not necessarily true. Because then when the first person does not perform and you decide... I need a world-class head of sales who's done this before at this scale. Um, and you, my friend, are not, not the right person for that. It's not just going to be hard on you. It's not just going to be hard on the person who's now being left behind. It's going to create this there, but for the grace of God, go I in everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I love it. Make sure you mean yeah. it. Love it. Okay, and want it. Uh, definitely wants it. Um, definitely working hard to get it. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we, uh, to, to, to grow this is, is, is what we need to do. But, but yeah, your insights um, have been a lot of fun, actually. I've really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, sometimes I worry about uh, a little too harsh on somebody, but uh, the, no. What what makes this so this in all sincerity, Mark? What makes this really interesting is that you're bringing up exactly the same stuff that I worried about. Yeah. You bring up the exact thing I struggled with, and yeah. in the case of myself, that I had this very very profound revelation about mm. that if I was going to be sitting down with my head of marketing and saying, "I'm sorry, you're." not the right person for the next stage that I had to turn that gaze inward on myself. And that one of the most difficult, but yeah. most revealing things for me as a person uh, yeah. that I ever did yeah. just changed outlook in so many ways because yeah. it, it broke that ego tie a little bit, yeah. which was the sense that if I'm not the big cheese, then what am I? And yeah, I'm, completely proud and content yeah. even if you well, know, just like reed's proud yeah. and content yeah it was, yeah worked I out mean, great 
let's hope we have um, a percentage of the success that, that you guys had um, with what, what we do. Um, it is, you know, interactive quizzing, but it's, it's growing, it's scaling, it's an awful lot of fun. Um, it wasn't really how I expected the conversation to go and which angle it went down, but it has been absolutely fascinating. And um, I've really enjoyed it, yeah. Really well, good, it. Mark. I, uh, I'm. <laughs> we can always schedule another one to cover the things yes. you actually wanted to talk about. Yes. Um, in fact, it might be good to have a catch up in uh, in a half a year or so. Just some kind of Definitely. curious. You're yeah, four yeah, weeks in now. I want to hear in four months, and I really want to hear in forty months because uh, I think yes. it's a fast. I mean, with all sincerity, it's a fascinating business. I totally get it. All kinds of interesting things you can do with it, and I, I do. I wish you all the best of luck with it. Thank you ever so much. That was really good. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> right. Cheers, Mark. Thanks, Mark. You take care. Well, I'll be the first to say that it's not going to be trivial making the changes that Mark needs to make, but I think he's uh, on the right track, and I can't wait to check in and see how he does. But if there's anything that you heard today that you want to dig a bit deeper into, I encourage you to pick up a copy of my book, That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. And... If you've got a question and you'd like to apply to be on the show, well, that's easy too. Simply come to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. I look forward to hearing from you.